We are in a series called Go, The Pathway to Purpose. We've already talked about salvation. We talked about baptism. Last week was about partnership. And today is about life and rest. As you see on the wall here, there are eight signs, and each of these signs have words on them, and these are the eight foundational principles in which God has called me to preach to you and teach you. First of all, he gives us life, and that life stands for the L is love, the I is identity, the F is faith, and the E is eternal purpose, and he also gives us rest, revelation, empowerment, strategy and triumph. I want these words, Father, to be written on their hearts and not just uh, on these signs. So on the pathway to purpose, which is this, uh, the Bible says that as a pastor, uh, an apostle, a prophet, whatever uh, he calls uh, the fivefold to do, that their, their responsibility is to equip you for the work of ministry. So all of us are supposed to be in ministry when we belong to the kingdom of God and his church, and there's a work for us to do. So the work that he's calling this church to do is called the pathway to purpose. Can you say that with me? Pathway to purpose. And pathway to purpose is this, that we should be able to uh, help someone from every stage as it relates from salvation to baptism to partnership to life and rest, discipleship, and then the gifts and service, and then finally learning how to disciple others. So we all play a part here. I'm going to be calling on you pretty soon. I'm going to, there's going to be some uh, documents or some way to sign up, someone to say, some way to say, okay. Okay, this is the house that God has called me to. He's called me to be a partner here. And once I learn who the partners are, then we will assign, we will train you and equip you to do the work of ministry. We will not discriminate. If you feel like you're not a partner here, welcome. God bless you. You still get the same food. All right. All right. So the pathway to purpose as it relates to life and rest. If you're a partner here, if you're a partner in the kingdom of God, life and rest are so essential to you. It has changed my life truly. Jesus offers both life and rest to those who will believe. A life free from sin and its power and rests for our souls. An encounter with Jesus leaves our lives truly change. Let's go to John chapter 10, 10. We're going to learn about this Jesus, this giver of life. Church, can you say life? Jesus is a giver of life. Now, we all have the breath of life in us, but at some point, these lungs will stop breathing and that life will depart. So what you need is eternal life. And that's what Jesus has come to give us if we will believe on him, that he's the son of God, that he was crucified on the cross for our sins, if, and he was raised from the dead. He gives us eternal life, all right? I believe I've done about three funerals in the past few weeks. So I know for certain, I've been with grieving families. I know for certain that these are just tents. These bodies that you live in, they're just tents. They're just temporary dwellings, okay? They were not built to live forever anymore. But Jesus will give us a glorified body in the new heaven and new earth so that we might go on and live forever. So what was the mission of this man named Jesus Christ? John 10.10 says this, The thief, which is the devil, and he's still here on this earth wreaking havoc, 
The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come, this is Jesus talking, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And as life relates to the way that he has me teach it here is that he came to give you his love. He came to give you a new identity. He came to give you faith in himself and give you the same faith that he exercised. And he came to give you an eternal purpose because your purpose is far beyond the time that you were born because the Bible says that he knew you before the foundations of the world. So before you were even placed in your mother's womb, God knew you and had a purpose for your life. There are no inventions that ever come to this earth that don't have a purpose. Every invention has has a purpose, and each of you are an invention of God. God invented you for a reason. The enemy has a reason for you as well. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has a whole nother purpose for you, which is to give you life and life everlasting. Let's go to 1 John now, chapter 3, verse 8. We're still learning about this Jesus and why he came to the world. He came to give us life. Listen to this. The one who practices sin, which is separating himself from God and offending him by acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion, is of the devil and takes his inner character and more values from him, not God. For the devil has sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. The Son of God appeared. This is Jesus. Why did he come to the earth? The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Can you say this with me? Jesus came, Jesus came. to destroy the works of the devil. All right, that's why he came. And that's why his power is still active. None of us have to sin. We choose to sin, but we don't have to sin. So everything the devil tries to do to steal, to kill and destroy us, he came to destroy all that work. The devil's work. He's here to steal, to kill and destroy. Why did Jesus come? To destroy that work and do what instead? Give us life. Give us life. Let's go on now to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. We're still establishing why Jesus came, his purpose in coming. And this is what the prophecy was of Isaiah of what Jesus would accomplish. Jesus would come saying this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So I pray that your ears are open to hear good news. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim a message that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Who's captives? The devil's captives. Who's prisoners? The devil's prisoners. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Jesus came to give us life. What's the opposite of life? So if we refuse Jesus' life that he's trying to give us, then all that's left is death. So listen, every single one of us will exist for eternity. 
However, some of us will live forever and others will die forever. It's called the second death. You don't want any part of that second death. You don't want any part of hell. So since you have breath in your body and a right mind and the ability to make a decision right now, choose life because he says it right before us. I set before you this day, life and death, choose life. All right, so that's what life is all about. But what about this rest? What's rest all about? So several years ago, I was with my wife uh, at a ministry event, and uh, I was praying to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to me. Did you know that the Lord speaks to us? He actually talks to us. He's a living God. He will talk to you, not just through a, a preacher that yells at you. And I'm not yelling. I just get excited. I'm not mad at anybody, okay? I'm not mad at any of you. If this is your first time here, I am not mad at anybody but the devil, okay? So uh, I was praying, and he spoke to me, and he said, uh, he said, Damien, I know your desire for me to receive great glory from you being a pastor, okay? But you will re- I will receive far more glory if you will just enter into my rest than all of your activity combined. And I was like, wow, God, I'm glad you told me that at year three instead of year 30, okay? So what he's saying is this. All the stuff that you think I want you to do and all the stuff that you think I want from you, the way that seems right to you is going to wear you out. So just enter into my rest and I will give you our a revelation. I will speak to you. I will speak truth to you. I will tell you what to do. E, I will empower you. What I say to you, I've already put faith in you, and there will be a chemical reaction between what I say and the faith that I've given you to cause power to come into your life. That's what faith is. Faith is power, the power to believe what God said is true, even if I don't see it yet. So that's what rest is. When I enter into his rest, he tells me what to do. I don't have to figure it out. That that word that he gives me, it empowers me with an S for strategy. So many of us wear ourselves out trying to figure things out. But God says, you know what? Stop trying to figure everything out and just enter into my rest. I will give you a word. Praise God. I will give you a revelation that will empower you with a strategy for triumph. Okay, when Jesus died on the cross, his final words were, it is finished. He did it all for us. So now all he's asking is that we would enter into his rest. So the first L in life is love. And the way that we are taught it here is that there is a love cycle. The love cycle is this. First, we receive a revelation of God's love for us. Secondly, it's not fair that God love us and we don't love him back. So the second part of the love cycle is learning how to love God back. The third part is a righteous self-love. Church, can you say this with me? I love myself. See, now you said it strong because I said it strong, but the truth is many of you don't love yourself or at least love yourself in the right way. You struggle with self-love, but I'm here to tell you that you're allowed to love yourself. And the self I'm talking about is the new self, the new self in Christ. Because once you get saved and give your life to God, you become a whole new creation in him. And that's the part of you that you're to love. I hate the old me. The old me was sinful, a liar, a drunk, a lover. 
full of lust. I don't like the old Damien, but this new me that Christ has made, I love this new me. I, I celebrate this new me in Christ because as long as I am in Christ, I am a new creation and I am allowed to love the new me. I still hate the old me. He shows up every once in a while. He does, but I got to put him right back in his place. Say, nope, you're dead. You don't live here anymore. It's Christ that lives in me. Amen. And then the final part of the love cycle is just learning how to love others. Now, you got God's love, and it's transformed your life, so now we got to give it to other people to complete the love cycle to bring people back to God. So let's study the love cycle in Scripture. Let's go to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. I'm not sure that I'll get through this whole message today, so should we come back tonight? Don't look at me. Don't answer that question because I already know what your faces are going to look like. I'm just messing with you. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 29. Let's see the love cycle in action. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So you listen to me. Disciples baptize people. So if you would notice the last time we had a baptism here, I didn't baptize anybody. Because I want you to take your eyes off of me being somebody that's super special. Because we're all disciples. Yes, I appreciate your respect. Yes, God has given me a position of authority here. But I'm not here to rule over you. I'm here to show you the way. Follow me as I follow Christ, right? So disciples can baptize. So if you ever came across a person that said, hey, I want to be baptized. So let's just say you're at a, a lake, pool, pond, wherever. And you tell somebody about Jesus. And you tell them they need to be baptized. And you can say, you know what? There's some water right here. Let's baptize you right here. You can do that. You don't have to call me, right? I'm probably eating, all right? Leave me alone. You can baptize them yourself as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't baptize anyone. His disciples did. Are you followers of Jesus? Yes, you are his disciples. Let's keep moving. Verse 3, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Had to. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, this is the Son of God getting tired. That lets us know that he was truly wrapped in humanity, okay? He was tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. What time was it? Noon. So in that region of the world, it is very hot. It's going to be hot on Wednesday uh, here, but it's, it's very hot in that region, okay? So at noontime, we must remember that it's very hot. Verse 7 says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. So we got to think about this. Why is this woman coming at noontime? The reason she's coming at noontime is because she had a reputation. She had a reputation, and people looked down on her, and this was her opportunity to go and get water and not be disturbed and not be bothered. Church, can you say this to me? Jesus, Jesus. Please, please bother me. Jesus, Jesus. Please, please disturb me. 
You see, she had a routine of going to the well when nobody would be there, okay? But on this day, somebody was there, and it's the great somebody, okay? Let's keep going. Soon a Samaritan woman came to drink, draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone on in the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Church, don't you be like that. Don't you, have, don't you act like those people that are in sin now, that you are so much better than them. You've got a message to give them. You better be loving them just like Jesus. Jesus loves sinners. Let's keep going. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So she had lowered herself because this is the way that they have been treated for a long time. So we know that she probably struggled with self-love. Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew. Church, can you say this with me? If I only knew. Church, can you say Revelation. Revelation changes everything. Revelation means that a hidden truth has been revealed. That when truth comes, freedom comes, okay? Uh, if you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. That's love. You will ask me and I will give it to you. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. What does this mean? She was living in a cycle. Some of you are stuck in a cycle. It's like while you're at church or while you're hearing the gospel, you can just, you can feel the release, you can feel the freedom, but as soon, as soon as you get away from the word, as soon as you get away from church, that cycle begins again where you begin to beat yourself up again and you thought you were free for a moment, but it seems that you find yourself thirsty again, thirsty for truth again, thirsty for power again. He says to her, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Then she says this, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And he says this to her, go and get your husband. Church, can you say Revelation. Jesus knows all things about us. And now he's revealing to her, uh, I want you to go get your husband. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? 
Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. See, he wants her to have a revelation about who he is, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is a spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who was called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. It is believed that this is the first time that Jesus revealed himself to the public and it's to this woman, a woman that has had five husbands and is living with a man right now that's not even her husband. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. So this same woman who would come at noontime when nobody was around just got a revelation about the Messiah and also who she was, and now she's running back to town. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, could he possibly be the Messiah? So let's study the love cycle. All right, so the first step in the love cycle is God's love for us. So where does she begin to see God's love for her? She begins to see God's love for her. Men and women, I want you to hear this because you think because of your sins that God doesn't love you sometimes or doesn't even see you, okay? So the first revelation that she began to have that God loved her was she said this, I thought that Jews had no dealings with Gentiles. I really want everyone to get this here. You've got to have a revelation of God's love. The devil would have you to believe that because that you have committed sins against God, that he wants nothing to do with you anymore. That couldn't be the, that's the biggest lie ever told. Because Jesus came to this world to set the captives free, to free us from our sins, to die for our sins. So she got a revelation of love in that moment where he, a Jew, is talking to her. He sees her. He's talking to her. He's having dealings with her. Father, I pray over these people right now in Jesus' name that they would have a full revelation of your love for them. No matter what they've done or what they're currently doing with their life, I pray that they would still be able to see that you are Jesus the Messiah sent to love us right where we are, but also to transform us and free us from our sinful life. In Jesus' name, amen. God's love for us is primary. Then we have to love God back. So in what ways does she begin to love God back there at the well? Well, the first thing is that it says that she listened intently. She listened to him. She was listening to his words. She didn't run off. She didn't leave in shame. She listened to him, okay? When we love God, we will listen to him. When we 
love God, we will listen to him and we will obey him. Jesus said, uh, if we love him, we will obey his commandments. All right. So that's the, that's the way that we know that she began to love God in that moment because she listened to him and believed. All right. The next step in the love cycle is a righteous self-love. So how do we know that she experienced a righteous self-love? Okay. Because she said this, he told me everything I've ever done. Everything. How many of you would like us to put on the screen right now every sin that you've ever committed? None of us, not one, all right? Because you would feel so condemned. You would feel so ashamed. But when God spent time with her and told her everything she ever done wrong, she didn't feel condemned. That's how we know that she began to experience a righteous self-love, all right? Because she had all these sins coming at her, but yet did not feel condemned. That's what righteous self-love is. You're able to release yourself from what you've done to enter into this new love for yourself because God has shown you who you are now in him without condemnation. Finally, the, the last step of the love cycle is loving others. And where do we see her loving others? It says at the end of the passage that she ran to the village at noon. It's hot outside. She ran to the village and she said, come see a man. Church, can you say this with me? Come see a man. That message is in the mouth of everybody that really loves God. Do you hear what I'm saying? That message is in the mouth of anyone who says that they really love God, then you, I'm sorry, really, that, that's true too, love God, but especially love others. Because that's where we are in the love cycle. The final step of this love cycle is that you love others. And the message in our mouth, if we really love others, is come see a man. Come learn about Jesus Christ. So, he gave her life. He gave her his love. He gave her a new identity saying, you know what? There's no separation between the Jews and Samaritans anymore. He gave her faith by saying, I'm the Messiah. And she believed and he gave her a purpose. He didn't, man, he didn't tell her what her purpose was. But listen to me, once you've got the love of God and once you've got the identity that God gives you and once you have faith that is active, your purpose will come out, I promise you. And her purpose came out immediately because what did she do? She ran back to town and said, come see a man, this must be the Messiah. So that is your purpose. Every single one of you sitting here that love Jesus Christ and that have been saved, if you have his love, I identity and faith, then you have a purpose, and that is to take this gospel message to the world. So anytime you're not doing that, you got to look at the L, the I, and the F and say, God, where am I low? Am I low in love? Is that why I'm not telling people? Is that why I'm not living out my purpose? Am I low in identity? Do I still think I'm just the poor old sinner saved by grace? How was that accent? Was that okay? Okay, all right, and then faith, all right? Is your faith low? If any of those are low, you'll just be seated in those chairs. 
You'll just, you'll just keep doing what you've always been doing. Your purpose is to tell other people about Jesus. All right, let's keep going. Now, we talked about love. Let's talk about identity in Scripture, okay? Let's go to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. What we need to know here is who we are before Christ and how we see ourselves at our first encounter with him. Who we are, our identity is all about who we are before Christ and how we see ourselves. So there's a before Christ, a BC, and there's an AD after death. Not his death, your death, okay? Because once we receive Christ in our lives, we die to our old selves and become new creations in him, living out his purposes. So there should be a, a, a line. There should be a line in time where you live before Christ and now where you live after you've died to yourself. There is definitely a line in my life. I was crazy. I was wild. I didn't do this to myself, okay? I'm 45 years old. I know I look 22. Well, I'm 45 years old, okay? And maturity is not what got me out of sin. Maturity is not what changed my life. Because there's 45-year-olds that I hang out with, hung out with. They're still smoking stuff. They're still drinking stuff. They're still chasing women. Maturity did not pull them out of sin. It's Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is a definite line in your life where you can look back and see that before Jesus, I was this. But now after Jesus, I am this. I died to the power of sin. I died to my old self. And there is a new me. So church, can you say this with me? Lord, I thank you for the new me that lives in you. Identity. That's what I'm talking about. If you're really born again, if you really have the new life, then that means that you have an old identity and a new identity. Our problem is that some of us stand in the middle still because there's still stuff back here we like to do. There's still stuff back here that we, you know, we enjoy the pleasure of sin, but there's this part of us that just doesn't want to pay the penalty for sin. So we say, okay, I am a Christian, but I still got my hand in the world because there's stuff I like to do. You got to die to all that and make a choice and say, I'm done with the world. Jesus, I will follow you alone. Okay, so in identity, remember, there must be a who we were before Christ. And then in that moment at the line, we see ourselves as we really are. Okay, there's a mirror at the line. So when a sinful man comes to the line or a sinful woman comes to the line, they look at an image of themselves and they see themselves as they really are without Christ. For me, it was in Columbus, Ohio, 134th West 9th Street. I was living on campus. I wasn't even going to school, right? But I was going to parties and getting drunk and spending all my money and living wild like the prodigal son. But I remember encounters in the mirror in that little two-bed uh, apartment where I go into that mirror and look at my drunk reflection and say, this is who I am without Christ. Lord, this is not what you're calling me to be. Lord, there must be something else. I got sick of seeing my sinful reflection. And, but you can never see your sinful reflection if you don't recognize that there is a Jesus out there, a savior of the world who has the power to free you. Listen to me. I was a slave to sin. 
I knew better, but I was a slave to sin, and I got tired of being sin slave. So I said, Jesus, forgive me. Radically save me. I need you to change me. And he did. He saved me. And that's where the line was drawn. And I said, Father, I am yours. He radically filled me with his Holy Spirit. He told me to move back to Lima to help my father at this church. And now I am the pastor. But I had to first have an encounter with Jesus. Christ. He had to show me my reflection of how sinful I was and that I was going to die and be lost forever without him unless I made a change. And that change was nothing I could do for myself. I had to surrender to his love. I pray that if any of you are in here or without Jesus Christ as your Savior, that in these few moments that you will see yourself, you will see yourself lost forever without God. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And here is your opportunity to say, I don't want to be without you, God, ever. Let's go to Luke 5 as we study the identity of Peter. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed into him to listen to the word of God. Can you say, Revelation? I'm trying to tell you, church. You got to read your Bible. You got to listen to God's voice because without revelation, there is no triumph. Without revelation, there is no victory. You got to hear what God is saying. So they pressed in to hear the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who we will later uh, come to call Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied. Okay, just master now because uh, his eyes haven't truly been open to who Jesus is. We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, church, can you say this with me? If you say so. So what's happening here? Jesus is inviting Peter into rest. Peter says, we've been fishing all night. And haven't caught anything. But at your word, which is revelation, we'll do what you said. So Peter allowed what Jesus said through revelation to empower him to say, okay, we're going to do this thing. I believe what he's saying is true. The strategy is I'm going to take my boat further out into the water, just like the revelation said, and I'm going to drop the net like he told me to. Let's keep going. Verse 5. We worked hard all, all night, didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And, and, and I hear God even saying this right now. There, there's some that have applied for a job and you didn't hear back or you were, you were rejected, but you need to apply again. Drop the net again. I don't know who that's for. I don't know if you're in this church right now or listening online. You filled out a job application, you didn't hear anything back, or they rejected you, but you need to do it again. Drop the net again. All right, let's keep going. Verse 6, and this time, church, can you say, and this time? time. See, you can try your way and just wear yourself out. But the Bible says that Jesus spoke and gave him rest, a revelation that empowered him with a strategy for triumph. They did it again, and this time... 
Their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what happened, church, can you say revelation? We have to have a revelation. Lord, open our eyes. Father, I pray for this church and those listening. Open their eyes. Give them a revelation, Jesus, of who you are. It will change our eternity, okay? He realized what had happened, okay? He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. You see, that's what I just told you happened to me in Columbus years ago. When Jesus, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you will finally see yourself as who you are and you will want to be changed and want to be saved. So Peter sees this miraculous miracle happen right in front of his eyes because Jesus told him to. And now he's falling to his knees and saying, I am a sinful man. So listen to me, an encounter with Jesus, number one, will show you your sin, and number two, you will be shown love and forgiveness for those sins, and you'll be commanded or called to then follow him. Father, I pray for a revelation that when we see you and when we believe on you, God, that the Holy Spirit would convince us and convict us of our sin, but then in that moment, faith would arise so that we can know that you have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And in that moment, may we receive your salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's keep going now. We're going to go to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. So in this life, of this, this, this Christian life, uh, we see Peter at the beginning. He sees Jesus. He falls down. He says, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Okay? But in this Christian life, sometimes somewhere in the middle, all right, we can find ourselves still vulnerable. We're not perfect as Christians. We're striving for perfection. We're striving to reach the image of Christ. However, at times, we can find ourselves vulnerable to attacks of the enemy. At times, we can find ourselves vulnerable to the lies of the enemy, even you, if you are a believer, even if you are a chosen one. So we're in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through, I'm sorry, we're, we're moving on. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Now listen to this. Now, there are times that uh, during your Christian life that God will tell you to do something, but you'll try to rebuke him. We always want to talk about Peter and look, look down on Peter. How could you just rebuke Jesus to his face, right? There are times when God has told every single one of you to do something, but yet you rebuked him. How did you rebuke him? 
by arguing with them, by being hesitant, by trying to figure it out your own way, by putting a twist on it, saying, uh, not, not that way, God, I'll do it this way. He's told you to talk to people. He's told you to give. He's told you to pray. He's told you to serve. He's told us many things, but we pull him aside and say, ah, I don't want to call you out in front of everybody, Jesus, but you're wrong in this. I'm going to do it this way, okay? We can be vulnerable. And when you are, let's just call it disobedient. And when you are disobedient to the word of the Lord, it opens up the door for the enemy. The enemy can come in and begin to use you. When you, when you substitute God's idea for a good idea, the enemy is living in that good idea. Do you hear what I'm saying? When God told you the truth, told you to do it this way, but you got another idea, a good idea, the enemy is there and he will fill you with that idea so that you can go against what God has said. That's very important to remember. At any stage in your walk, that can happen. We can be vulnerable, okay? Verse 33, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. He didn't say get away from me, Peter. He said get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Isn't that what I just said? God's idea is over here and it is the truth, but you don't do it God's way because you got a good idea that's coming from the carnal self where the enemy is trying to pull you to death and you desire to do it this way. And that is Satan's way. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I think we better learn this quickly. If it's not God's way, it's Satan's way. Now we might say, well, it's just, it was my idea. Nope. Who, who would breathe out lies against God? If God has already spoken the truth, where is this alternative idea coming from? It's coming from the enemy. we got to be aware of that. All right. Now, let's continue moving on. Uh, finally recognizing whose we are. So, at some point in our identity, we should be so mingled with God that there's no separation. At some point in our identity, we should be able to make the statement that Galatians 2.20 says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. At some point, that needs to happen. Father, I pray now in Jesus' name for our identity. I pray that we would not just be sinful humans trying to chase a distant God, but Lord, that we would recognize and realize that once we are born again, we become new creations in which your Holy Spirit lives and we become one with God. So we're not just religious people. We are a righteous person, a holy nation, because God, what you have done through us through the new creation, in Jesus' name, amen. So here's an example of what it looks like to walk in the fullness of your new identity. This is Peter, the same one who uh, tried to rebuke Jesus. This is Peter, the same one that denied Jesus three times. This is that Peter, okay? He's growing in his identity uh, by the time we see him in the book of Acts. So let's go there now. Acts chapter 3. Verses 1 through 16, and, and it says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. 
Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The man looked at them eagerly expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have, or I'll give you who I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man, Peter, not Jesus. Jesus is gone. I want you to get this, please. I, I, the church needs this power today, okay? Jesus was gone at this time. This is just Peter. Now, when Jesus was here, he healed the lame. He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. But Jesus is gone now, but he sent his Holy Spirit so that we would be identified as his own. And the Bible says that these signs and wonders would follow them who believe. You need to get your faith stirred up because some of you come from denominations and backgrounds where they didn't, they said that healing is gone and all those supernatural works are gone. They don't, they don't exist anymore. So you mean to tell me that God stopped loving us? You mean to tell me that God's power is no longer good on this earth, although his Holy Spirit is here? Church, we need to recognize that uh, the hospitals are so overrun like they are because some of us have not been able to identify with Jesus in the way that he wants us to. Peter told the lame man to rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Let me see if you can even say this. Church, can you say this with me? In the name of Jesus. We're going to do it again. Say this with me. In the name of Jesus. Did everybody say it? I'm looking. I'm waiting for everybody. Don't, don't do, uh, look, this is God's word. I'm God's messenger. Don't do your thing over here. We just talked about that. Everyone, please say this. In the name, In the name of, Jesus. of Jesus. So that means that you all have the ability to say it. But what we're looking for is the faith to say it. So that when you pray for somebody in the name of Jesus, that something will happen. Because it's not your power, it's going to be his power that's called upon. We've got to know this, all right? So now we see Peter's uh, identity come full circle, all right? Moving on to faith. We've only got two more, and then we'll be done. Faith. Faith is the supernatural ability to believe God in the absence of evidence. We're in Mark chapter 25 verses, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5 verses 25 through 34. So in this passage, there's a woman who has a, has constant bleeding for 12 years, and she spent all of her money on different doctors trying to pay them to figure out what's uh, going on, but things have only gotten worse. So, church, can you say revelation? So she received the revelation because the Bible says here in verse 27 that she had heard about Jesus. So when you have a revelation, when you hear about Jesus, it empowers you with a strategy for triumph. I want to say it again. Please look at those four signs. Rest. When you have a revelation, it empowers you with a strategy for triumph. So she heard about Jesus. It empowered her. What was her strategy? Her strategy is, I've got to go find this man. 
And her faith was, he doesn't have to even pray for me. He doesn't have to recognize me. I'm not going to stand in line. My strategy is, my strategy for triumph is, if I simply just touch the hem of his garment, I know I will have triumph. I know I will be healed. All right? So, verse 27. She heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, this is faith talking. Church, let your faith talk. Stop letting fear talk. Gas is so high. How am I going to be able to afford this? How are we going to get by? Oh, look at the economy. Tell, your, tell the devil to shut up. God has not given you the spirit of fear. Okay, do not be afraid. Do not be sitting in your house looking out in the garage or looking at your car in the driveway saying, man, I sure feel like going to Cupid, but gas is so high that I probably just shouldn't, I probably shouldn't drive anywhere till tomorrow. Come on, let faith wake up in us. We are not bound to the world's economy. Let them be afraid until they get a message from us that you know what, God is our provider. Listen to me, every single one of you for the most part have driven your car with that E sign on, right? And you just prayed to God that you would get to the gas station before you ran out of gas. I, I ran out of gas before, but that was my fault, okay? But many of us, he, he spared us. He supernaturally allowed us to reach our destination even when the gas was low in the car. I'm trying to tell you that your God, even if gas goes to $15 a gallon, that your God will make sure you need to be everywhere you need to be without fault and without fear. You've got to let faith talk, okay? She was tired of trying it her own way, and she finally let her faith talk. Verse 28, she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. That's what happens when you let your faith talk. If you let your fear talk, you'll get what your fear is saying. Do you hear what I'm saying? Fear is just demonic faith. Fear is faith upside down. Fear Faith believes up. Fear believes down. Fear says you can't, you won't, you'll die, you'll sick, there's not enough, all right? God says you'll live, I'll supply your needs, don't be afraid, be anxious for nothing. Don't let fear talk, let faith talk. So immediately after she touched him, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed from her terrible condition. Our final assignment today uh, to give you is eternal purpose and what that means. That is fulfilling the assignment God sent us to the world to complete. It is the why behind the love, the identity, and the faith. Jesus loves us because he loves us, but he also loves us because we have a purpose. Jesus gave us a new identity because he loves us, but he also gave us a new identity because we have a purpose. Jesus gave us faith because without faith, it's impossible to please him, but he also gave us faith for a purpose. Everything ties into purpose, okay? So fulfilling the assignment God sent us to the world to complete, that is our eternal purpose. It is the why behind love, identity, and faith. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and it says this. This is purpose, okay? 
the disciples followed Jesus for only three years, okay? That's all they got with him, and then he gave them their purpose. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So that's the assignment of the church. That's the pathway to purpose. That's why I need your help, partners. I need help making disciples. So if you're a disciple, I need your help again to make more disciples, okay? Uh, Because the world is lost and dying unless they hear this message. Verse 19, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all this authority in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. That is called the Great Commission. That is why we come to church to be empowered, to empower others with the truth. This is not just a place that we come for a religious purpose to, you know, uh, make us feel good about coming. This is not a place just to come and sing songs or hear messages. God established the church and gave the gifts, uh, the fivefold gift to the church so that you might be prepared for your ministry. So let me ask you this question. What does your ministry look like outside of this church? Do you have a ministry? Do you tell people about Jesus? Are you a light to the world? Are you salt to the world? Or is this it? If this is it, then the world continues to go to hell and be the condition that it's in now. I'm trying to tell you that if God is planning you to the church in this church, he's giving you a purpose, and that purpose is that we would go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we might one day hear, well done, thou good and faithful what? Servant, okay? Finally, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, tell us about Jesus commanding the apostles to wait for the Holy Spirit to come down. And verse 8, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. What's the last word those men, those men in robes said to them? Go. Church, if we don't go, then they can't come. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we don't go, they can't come. And I'm not talking about to this building. I'm talking about to heaven. And one of the major problems I've had as even as a pastor, I want you to begin to examine your own hearts and say this. Say, God, why don't I love sinners like you do? God, why am I so silent? 
Why am I so embarrassed? Why am I so ashamed to talk about you publicly? And you know what his warning was? If you be ashamed before me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of the Father. Father, I pray the spirit of fear off of us. I pray that this will be a church known for its going. I pray that this will be a church known for signs and wonders and miracles, God, not because of anything that we do, but because you simply want to show the world that we are legitimate, that your Holy Spirit truly does live in us, and we have the power to do these things, to convince the world that there is a Savior. Father, I pray now, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would help us with this pathway to purpose, God. This is the thing that will fill the balcony because out there are sinful people, God, who really want to know you, but they are blind and they don't have rest. They do not have a revelation about who you are and how will they know unless a preacher goes. And these are your preachers, God. These are your ministers. Fill them with love. Fill them with a new identity. Fill them with faith so that they might live out your purpose for them. Lord, wherever they are, in the shower, in the car, at the dinner table, at work, would you constantly give them rest? And what is rest? It is simply you speaking to them. Whether it be through the Bible, a man or a woman of God, or you softly whispering words to their heart, we need rest. This world tells us to worry. Every time we watch the news, something to worry about. This world commands the Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit is commanding the world to worry so that when the Antichrist spirit, uh, when the actual Antichrist reveals himself, he'll be able to say, I have the answers and deceive the whole world. That's why all this worry is being stirred up. Worry and fear is a red carpet for the Antichrist to, uh, to appear and, 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 and show himself and say, I've got the answer. God, he will, he will be able to perform signs. He will be able to do wondrous things, but he won't be you. But if they don't know who the true Messiah is, they might think the Antichrist is the real God. So God, we've got work to do. Father, forgive this church for anything that we've done to create a atmosphere of comfortability that our greatest expectation for these people is that they would come on a Sunday morning, sing songs, and listen to a message. Because God, if that's the cycle, it's a cycle of death because nobody gets saved that way. So God, we break this circular cycle and God, we ask that you would break the circle and make it straight and send it right out our doors. Make it a plane the way that we are to go, Father, and to minister the gospel to the lost. I pray now for an increased boldness to come over us as it relates to our family members, God. What, what, what shame would there be to know that our family members 
are having to spend eternity in hell because we were too afraid or embarrassed to tell them about Jesus. But we tell them about other things. We gossip to them and we, we send them funny videos and we do all these other things, God. But why won't we simply tell them the way to eternity? It's because we have fear living inside of us, the fear of rejection, the fear of being ridiculed, the fear of being made fun of. But God, I pray now in Jesus' name that a holy fear would rise up in us, a holy reverence would come upon us and say, you know what? The greatest fear I have about my family is not the way they think of me, but them being lost forever. I ask in Jesus' name that a holy boldness would come. Everyone, can you please stand? Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, would fall upon those who are believers in you, God, but they have not been filled with your spirit. They have not sensed the giftings that you have given him. They have not been empowered yet with the call that you have on their lives. God, Lima belongs to you. You bought this city with your blood. Lord, you love Lima. Everyone speaks against this city. Even the people here spit on its name. But God, I declare now in Jesus' name that just as they punched you and they spit on you and they ridiculed you, Lord, I pronounce your life over this city. Make Lima live, Lord. We pray, Lord, that Lima would arise. But Lord, they can only arise once they hear the gospel message. God, you know my heart's desire is to have partners in this church. Partners who are willing to join arms and do a work in this city. It's so easy to come to church, but nothing happens if we do things the easy way. God, whatever you're calling us to do, whether it's Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning, and God, as hard as this is to say, even if only two people show up, God, then the three of us will take the city. Whatever you're calling us to do doesn't require great numbers, just requires great faith. So God, I will go with whoever you send. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will give us a revelation that will empower us with a strategy for triumph. Those that you have given life to, Lord, we owe you. The Bible calls it a reasonable service. Present yourselves to God as a reasonable service. When God is asking you to do something for him, to do an to do an outreach to to to, to say uh, to the lady at Walmart, hey, Jesus loves you. Listen to me. That's reasonable. Think about what he did for you. He's asking you to do these easy things, and, and sometimes they're not easy, but they will always be reasonable. How do we make this thing reasonable? We look at what Jesus did for us. He died for our sins. And now all he's asking us to do is go. Go and tell them about me. Go and make disciples. 
I believe that's reasonable. I pray against everything in us that says that's not reasonable. I pray against our love of this world. I pray against our leisure. You didn't save us just so that we can build bigger barns and, and occupy these air-conditioned homes and leave it up to other people to spread the gospel. God, you're calling the church. So, Father, I thank you for these partners. I thank you, God, for their gifts. And I thank you for their obedience. In Jesus' name.